Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. We are here with our very special guest, Tara Jean. Tara, say hi to everybody. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks no, for coming thank on, Tara. Um, so usually what we do with guests, we do it a little bit different. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell people why we have you on the podcast. I mean, you're a world-class dancer, but the thing that uh, kind of attracted us to you was your, you have a big interest in fitness. So tell us a little bit about your background and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I was born in Canada, started dancing when I was three. I was uh, probably one of the worst dancers constantly in class. And I didn't find fitness until I was about 14. Um, I was training in all styles, ballet, tap, jazz, contemporary, absolutely loved it. I was always in the back line when I was a kid, just like crazy jumping around, had no technique whatsoever. Um, had really good discipline and won the heart awards a lot, which was great. And then started finding fitness and realized that cross training was super important. And at 14, I would wake up at 4am before school, I started doing some runs in the morning, realizing that I felt really good and getting my heart rate up. I was like, wow, it's actually helping my dancing. And my ballet teacher said, if you keep running, then you're going to get kicked out of the company. And I said, well, but I like it. I like cross training. I like going to the gym. So it wasn't really a big thing at all back in the, in the day. I just made myself sound so old. Um, but then at 15, I actually moved away. I come from a very small town called Lethbridge, Alberta. Uh, we have two Walmarts now, so I guess it's kind of a big city. So I moved to Calgary, Alberta, and I joined a dance company which was really great. I auditioned and happy cried when they accepted me. And then from there, I've been training a lot, moved to LA when I was 19, trying to continue my training. I actually dated a personal trainer who uh, (laughs) kind of also got me started into the fitness. And him and I would do boot camps in the morning, then I'd go to rehearsal. Then after that is when the shenanigans began and I auditioned for So You Think You Can Dance in Canada. And season one, I got cut. They said you were not ready, uh, mentally not prepared, you didn't have enough confidence. So I moved back to LA, making my $5 an hour, sweeping up hair at a hair salon, lived in my car for a couple of weeks, just trying to, you know, be the starving artist and make it. And after that, my friends all got together in Canada and uh, booked me a a plane ticket to go audition for So You Think You Can Dance Canada season two. So I couldn't waste their money. So of course I went, auditioned for the show. And uh, that season I actually ended up winning, which kind of jump-started my whole career. Then been traveling the world since until I turned 30 and I said, I'm tired. I want to take a little bit of time of less travel. Um, but still training like a psychopath, which I absolutely love. And doing your birthday workouts, which kill my body. I've uh, been doing your birthday workouts for like six years, Bobby. And uh, it's probably yeah, the toughest workout and mental workout that I think I've, I've ever done, even after all these TV shows. I love it. Now, I have, I have so many questions for you because I just learned a lot about you that I didn't know, which is super interesting. When you were 14, how did you get into fitness? Because I, for me, 
I found my way into the weight room out of necessity at probably 17 years old, 16 years old. At 14, it's really young to me. Like, I can't imagine having the emotional maturity to figure out that working out would help my sport or help my dance or help my whatever at 14. Did you have a mentor that helped you get into that or did you research it? Like, how did that happen? No, I, I definitely didn't have uh, the mental capacity to understand how it helped my dancing. It's because my brother, Dustin, is the coolest man in the world and he played hockey and they had this thing called off ice. And so they would be training. They'd be training in the field. So I was like, but you're a hockey player. Why don't you just train on ice? And so I saw he would run in the morning. So I was like, well, typical little sister. I want to be like my big brother. So I started doing it just to to kind of copy him. And then I realized it felt good. And then it was more feeling based because I'm an artist and I'm a creator. So I need a lot of different outlets to keep my emotions intact. And I found running and being in the gym did something different than dance did. Interesting. And when did you, how long did it take you to get to that one of the things that's a big part of my platform, Joe's too, is we try to use the gym as a way, a vehicle to get better in every other aspect of your life. And some people get it. Some people really don't. How long did it take you to kind of make that correlation? Um, I think it's still a daily practice. Like I, I still have moments when I feel like I wake up and I'm like, I'm too tired to go to the gym, but you have to make it a lifestyle. Like it becomes not a choice anymore. Your mentality just wakes up. You know, it's better for your body. You know, it's better for your mind. You always know you feel better after. Um, so now I started this discipline where I just would wake up, have my shoes by the bed, even when I'm grumpy and just like having a crap day, shoes are on and I'm already at the gym before I have time to think about it. But it's still like I'm, I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever get there of that realization how important it really is. But if I keep consistent, then I guess I'm on the right track. So Tara, tell, tell me a little bit about how you started, because I, I'm imagining like a 13, 14 year old girl going to the gym for the first time, like that had to be at least intimidating at the very least, especially coming from a dance background. How did that, how did that evolve? How did that come about to the point where now it's like, it's like part of who you are? Because my, my assumption is it wasn't that way at first. No, of course. And to be honest, Joe, trying to pick up weights for the first time, I would just kind of mimic people around me. And I had no idea even the muscle groups, what muscles really intended to do. I had no goals. I didn't want to build muscle. I just wanted to be in the gym and figure stuff out. Um, so I remember going into the YMCA and I was like, okay, there's like an 80 year old there on the bike. Let me try the bike. And I was like, okay, there's some like fit dude there lifting weights. That looks a bit intense for me, but let me try. So it was just kind of trial and error for a really, really long time. Wow. Then, so, yeah. so back to when you were 14 though, cause same, same along the lines, how long did it take you to understand this was helping your dance? Was it instantaneous? Like, was it like in a week, two weeks, or was it a no. month long kind of thing? No, it became as a professional dancer and at that time wanting to be a professional dancer, it was honestly a bit more vain as well because, you know, back in the day, teachers saying that you need to lose weight and I love food. I will always love food. I don't believe in diets for me. I'm like, what I crave, I eat. I just have to train hard for it. But at that time, I still just had moments where how can I drop weight with still going home, eating like an entire tub of ice cream, not feeling bad about it, but still feeling in shape. Not always guys, not always, but 
Okay, so so the next one I have is why did your ballet teacher hate it? Do you think it was jealousy because you were improving and she or he wasn't helping you improve? Like, why did they want the running cutoff? What was the rationale behind that at the time? At the time, I, they believed that it was building the wrong muscles. So obviously running is very heavy on the quads. You're driving through with your hamstrings and it's very heavy impact with your knees. So then they said that it was bad for your joints and for your muscles. Now, obviously, with more research and people are figuring stuff out, obviously, it's better for you for explosive power, trying to understand your body more. You actually end up stretching more because you're doing more high intense exercise. But at that time, they didn't want you doing anything to lift a weight. It's kind of offensive because it's so hard to build muscle, but they thought that you'd build muscle so quick and then be too muscular for dance. So... Times have changed, thank goodness. But they must have also seen you improving doing this stuff too, though. Well, yeah. And I started training with my brother too. So I was training with like the hockey guys and I was feeling stronger. And then obviously your balance is getting better. My jumps were getting higher and dancers were wondering like, where is she coming from? (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I'm just training with my big bro. That's funny. You think as a coach that someone would want to continue or you to continue doing that stuff, but it didn't exactly work out that way. Um, no. Joe, the, the, the thing that we always talk about is how people turn a corner mentally. Yeah. So I think the key to this whole podcast for me, Taryn, I didn't realize this. You won, so you think you can dance season two. Mm-hmm. But you didn't even make the cut to be on the show season one. Am I right on that? Yeah, how you're right. Hell, how the hell does that happen? Did you find some secret to improvement between season one and two? Like, was there some like magic thing? Cause I'm assuming they're shot like eight months apart or mm. did you just have the worst performance of your life? Season one, was it season two? You just didn't care anymore and just went for it and kind of freed yourself of limitations. Cause that sounds kind of like a crazy story to me. Like yeah. it's unbelievable. You know what I mean? It is crazy. And I, I go through a lot of interviews about this just because Season one, I wanted it so bad and I was trying to be what I thought they wanted. So all my solos were tricks and I was doing flips and I don't like doing like that kind of, that's not dance to me, that's gymnastics, but I was giving them that. So I was like, here, this is the dancer that you want. Um, And then season two, I spent a year more reflecting internally and working on my confidence because coming from a small town into this industry and everyone kind of seemed to know each other. And I was this little kid that was like, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. What's this? I don't know. Like, let me go eat steak and eggs. I'm from Alberta. What's happening? So it was just this weird world to me. Um, But when I stopped caring and worked on myself and my confidence and what kind of dancer I actually am and who's like why I'm genuine and authentic and what I can bring. And it felt like a whole different competition. Were they surprised? Did you get feedback in that regard? Yeah. They're like, where the hell did you come from? (laughs) (laughs) So it was like the same people from season one to season two then that you were, you were interacting with. Yeah. Same judges, same directors, same cast, same team. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Like, I just love the story of, of what it reminds me of. There's actually a story I used to work with my sports psychologist on this. There was a wrestler he worked with that cared, but cared too much, if that makes sense. So he actually had him do an exercise before every match 
where he would sit in a chair and just say, I don't give a damn over and over and over and over again because he cared so much that it was actually stifling his performance. And it sounds like, to me at least, in season two, you were just free of all that. Whereas in yeah. season one, you, you thought you, you, were, you were so worried about what they thought, you kind of weren't yourself and just had a bad performance. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But it's, two, you right. kind of let the, let the reins off and away you went. Exactly. And now, it's like anything in life. You can't hold on to anything too tight because then it's the, you're strangling it. Do you look back on getting cut from season one as the greatest thing that ever happened to you? In some ways? Of course. There's a positive in everything, for sure. Um, it bruised my ego in such a way that parts of my personality, I got to meet like some really shitty parts of my personality, which I guess is good. Um, I always thought I was extremely humble and very kind. And after getting cut, my ego was so bruised that I trained so hard to prove to absolutely no one um, that I was mentally exhausting myself. Um, And then once I figured out that it was actually such a huge lesson, and that's kind of what I teach now is that if you keep comparing to other people and trying to be someone you're not, there's so many people that are trying to do the same, but if you're just you, then you're bringing something different. Was there a fear from that in season two that you were constantly going to get cut? Hell yes. Constantly like on pins and needles. How did you, how did you not let that affect you? Um, I, I had to write a lot and going back in my old journals um, because fear is one of those crazy things. It's beautiful because it can drive you, but fear can also destroy you. Um, so writing down reasons why I deserve to be here was one of the most important things that I could do. That's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast is, is writing down reasons why you're going to succeed. So it's just interesting that the a similar tactic is, is employed there. I'm curious after that, I mean, after that experience of, you know, season one, abject failure, season two, absolute success. How did that affect the next thing that you went into? Did that change your attitude just from then on out? Yeah. I mean, of course, for me, I think my biggest goals and stuff was to try to remain who I was. And so I would go to shopping malls and then get swarmed by people and people crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? They're like, I love you. I'm like, this is just weird. And so there's moments like that, that in my personality, I try to stay the same, but like, obviously in the actual reality, you can't coming off a show. Um, And so when my whole world changed and I was doing all these things and I was on tour and, and I think the only thing that kept me sane was my close best friends because they would call me and say, okay, you need to find roots again. What's something that makes you you? So I'm really, really lucky that I think my surroundings kept me sane through all the crazy times. That's funny. Do you still have an interest in competing and stuff like this? Like, am I going to, am I going to watch you uh, on, on the world of dance with Neo and JLo and Derek? Is that something I'm going to see soon or, or are, you, are you done with this? It, that's such a great question. I get asked that all the time and there's always a little part of me that still would love to, but then when I'm doing choreography and I'm, I'm teaching and I started this human first dancer, second convention, when I'm doing that is when I feel like I'm in my zone. 
that is what I'm meant to do in this moment. I mean, maybe when I turn 40, I'll change my mind and decide to try and train and get back. Who knows? Uh, it's life is day by day. But for right now, my heart is definitely in helping the other generation to find their identity and who they want to be in the industry. I love that. Tell us a little bit about the Human First Dancer Second program. I know a little bit about it, but tell us, so for people that are listening, what's that based off of? What is it? Well, again, going back on all my journals through my career, I've had so many ups and downs and I've gone through anxiety. I've gone through depression. I've gone through moments where it's the best day of your life and you're happy crying and every day just feels incredible. And then the next day you get dropped or get cut or an injury. And so I, I tried to figure out a curriculum where it could help people and their mentality stay consistent without those drops. So my brother and I, who my brother tried to make it into the NHL and his size, he was too small. He never ended up making it. Um, so we tried to figure out something substantial for people to use that could help their careers or their dreams without the ups and downs. So then my best friend Keiko said, well, that's something of neuroscience. So we need to dig into the brain. So what you need to do is find your identity of who you are, not what you do. So I am myself, but I'm not just a dancer. I also like to do this. I love gardening. I love cooking. I love being in the ocean. So finding things that make you you so you're strong as a person without what you do. I like that. Let me ask you a question, because this is something that surprises people or has surprised people with me in the past. Mm -hmm. If you had to choose one, dancing or working out, which one would it be? You have to give up the other one forever. That's such a crazy question, Bobby. (laughs) No, the the reason I ask that is because when I was professionally fighting, most people looked at me as a fighter. I was a UFC fighter and that was it. It's who I was. I mean, even to the point where people would question my personality, people that I grew up with all of a sudden perceived me as violent or crazy or I wasn't a different person. I just happened to be in the UFC. So I had a similar kind of thing where people thought it was my identity, but it wasn't. And I have always told people I would much rather go to the gym and lift weights than fight train. I would much rather, if I had to pick one, it would be working out any day of the week. And for you, it sounds like that could be similar. So I was wondering what you would say, because obviously they're both big passions for you. Mm -hmm. It's, they're so very different to me though. Being in the gym, it feels like it's giving something to myself. That's me time. So even if my call time is 4am, I get in shit all the time because I'll be at the gym 2.33 a.m. before I rehearse all day. But that's like me time. And dance, I feel like, is an expression that I want to give to others. So I, you're going to be so annoyed by this answer, um, but I can choose because can dance choose. is my outlet of creativity and my heart and my soul and like my inside. And training is like my me time, my priority, my self-sanity, my... Like, I don't know how you can't choose. Okay. So you just said something and, and I like asking rapid fire questions like this, but you dance for you is something you give other people. Mm -hmm. You weren't teaching. Would you still dance every day? Uh, That is such a funny question because well now being in quarantine, I'm finding new emotions coming up. And I think it's because when I'm dancing, I'm letting those out. So I have moments when my heart is feeling heavy and I'm like, I just got to move. So dance is also for me, but I'm in a place in my career where I'm, I've been 
working so hard in that transition to make dance for others that I do forget about myself sometimes. Got you. So you're just not dancing around all the time. Like if we were to like spy on you, are you just dancing from room to room, dancing in the shower, dancing while you're making food or no? No, I mean, when I first got to Costa Rica, um, cause I worked really hard on finding roots just to keep my personality grounded. It was the best feeling. I'm like, I have pictures on a damn wall now. That's been my goal for like eight years because from contract to contract, hotel to hotel. So when I see like a picture on the wall or on my fridge, I do a little weird happy dance. Um, and when I'm cooking, sometimes I'm like in the kitchen in my bikini, just like pretending I'm a chef dancing around. So it will always be a part of me for sure. So Another thing, this is obviously live in real time to a degree. It'll be edited. It'll probably be out tomorrow, just so you know. But we had talked offline, because um, we're friends, about how awful quarantine is for you. But now I'm understanding that you're on a beach in Costa Rica and you're in a bikini all day. So can you explain to me how, how and why quarantine has been so rough for you? What's going on? Uh, these are one of those questions why I've canceled so many radio interviews in Canada. Um, yes, it, I, okay. Here's the full honest truth. A lot of the quarantine issues I'm struggling with is guilt. Mm. Uh, my family in Canada are snowed in anyways, because of course it's Alberta. There's always a ton of snow. Um, and they were like, we haven't seen the sun for a few days now, as I'm standing in my kitchen, wanting to wear sunglasses and sunscreen because I'm going to get a sunburn and it's just beautiful outside blue skies. Um, so definitely, you know, I do feel like I'm in a very lucky position to be in quote unquote quarantine in Costa Rica. It's not the worst thing in the world, is it? No, no. And I think even worldwide, regardless where you are, there's so many positives that will come out of this and people this biggest thing when I say like, why don't you work out? Why don't you train? Or why don't you paint or draw? And everyone always says, cause I don't have time. And so right now in the world, we have nothing but time. So no yeah, excuses anymore. That's true. Has it affected your business right now? Like, are you kind of, cause you're on contract in Costa Rica. Are you shut down as well? Like, are you just kind of using the time to reflect and, and do some personal work or are you as busy as ever? No, um, absolutely not busy, which is funny because a few years ago, this was my biggest fear was to not have a schedule because I've been, I've spent my whole career on a schedule, going to the airport, like, you know, uh, traveling the world with every single minute of the day, almost completely scheduled. And so now not having one, it's interesting of how I'm finding it. Costa Rica job is, is not happening. The studio is closed. Uh, my tour that I was doing Excel and then EPC, another dance tour, is canceled till June 20th. So it's the longest I've spent away from the airport, which I'm not mad at. Um, but I do miss already just like the creative side. What are a couple of things during this time that you're choosing to work on? One of the things that we talked about in the last couple of podcasts is people feel lost. They don't know what fulfills them. They have no idea what to do. And I think you're seeing two types of people emerge. People that are going to come out of this thing more fit than they've ever been in their life. Their marriage is better. Their relationship with their kids is better. And I think they're going to say it's the best thing that ever happened to them. I do have friends that have openly admitted to me they drank more than they drank since college. They're getting overweight. They're eating like shit. They're just falling apart. 
but yeah. you're not the next person to ever fall apart. Otherwise, we wouldn't have you on here. So what's one of the main things or two of the main things that you're trying to work on with your free time? It's a good question. And also to go back into what you just said, I think I'm lucky because I have fallen apart and I have lost myself. So a few mm. years ago, I felt that. And I said, I am never, there's 0% chance I'm ever getting there again. Um, and I had distractions. So to fall apart and to lose yourself with distractions is a freaking hard task. And I managed to really nail it. Um, so now that I, I don't have distractions, and I, but I, after going through that, I'm more comfortable in my own skin. I'm more confident with the choices I've made. I like myself. I like my alone time. I can hang out alone and, and crack stupid jokes and have a great time. But if this was a couple years ago, I would probably be going through a weird depression. I'd probably be making excuses of my career is gone. Who am I? What am I going to do with this? I need to be doing this to prove to myself that I have this big career. Um, but now I'm in such a different headspace that I feel lucky to just be happy with no distractions. What advice would you give somebody that's struggling? Because obviously being a high level dancer or being a high level athlete is different than being a person at home that's never done anything. But I think they go through the same thing. There's a certain thing that happens to athletes. We talked about it in the podcast when an NBA player retires or an NFL player retires. They don't know who they are anymore. And there's a weird depression that's associated with it. So if there's somebody at home right now who's in quarantine that's doing the whole social isolation thing, and all the distractions are gone and they're struggling with self-identity, what advice would you give them to help them get it through? There's so many different tactics in psychology that you can do to get to know yourself. And they sound a little bit over the top, and but just as long as you keep an open mind, but sit in your bathroom or in your room, look at yourself in the mirror. Look at yourself until feelings surface and see what that feels like. Write down, write whatever comes to your mind. I know it sounds like very spiritual stuff, but the more you get to know yourself and the more outlets that you try, then the better there's, you know, I have people messaging me saying relationships aren't working anymore and I'm engaged with them and I've been with them for years, but this is the most time they've ever spent together. So they're actually seeing each other's true personalities, but you know, if you don't know who you, who you actually are, of course, your relationship's not going to work. So take that time and tell your partner, I'm not married, but tell your husband, your wife, say, I need to sit and write for five minutes every day to reflect on me, my decisions, openly talk without getting defensive. Say, you're driving me nuts today. Can you hang out in another room and just take your time? But it's, you can't be emotionally sensitive at this time. You just have to focus on yourself. Do you think it's hard to get alone time with all the distractions people have? Of course. I mean, I don't have kids. I don't have a spouse. I don't have like, you know, big decisions to make about are the kids going to eat tomorrow? Um, and you have to take care of your family still and even more. And you're trying to be the best parent you can and making them still have fun and be playful and learn and schooling and after school activities, like still trying to fit all those schedules in. But I think you have to prioritize yourself first. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to give to anyone else. Even if it's 4 a.m., if your kids are up at 5, you wake up at 4 a.m. and you do some of your own work first, regardless, whatever that is. So essentially pay yourself before you pay other people. Look after yourself is what you're saying. Yeah, you have to fill your own cup. If you're exhausted, how are you going to give to anybody else? 
That's fair. Do you think physical education, not physical education, that's the wrong word. Physical fitness is a big part of that. Would you recommend doing that at this time? A hundred percent. If you start like eating like crap and you're not moving and you're feeling more insecure and then you're not liking your body and then you don't have a schedule, you don't have distractions. So you're going to sit and you're probably going to start a new Netflix show. Then it's going to make you feel more like crap. Then you're going to feel like you have no purpose and it's going to be this vicious circle. And then you're going to come out of this be like, well, that was a waste of time. But if you keep yourself in check and say, okay, maybe today I'll eat a little bit healthier and train my body, even if I don't feel like it, because it's, Training to me is the most important thing someone can do. Dating someone that doesn't believe in fitness is the most unattractive thing in the entire world. It's, it's not, it's, it's huge. What advice would you give somebody that wants to start from somebody that's woken up? Like you woke up at four in the morning, you've, you've done all this stuff. You've obviously made sacrifices to plan your day around training, but for somebody that hasn't, how would they get started? Because I almost think too, at 14, when you got started with training or when I got started with training young, we were too young to know anything. Like there wasn't that self-consciousness that you would have as a 35-year-old. There wasn't that probably level of, um, I don't know what the word is looking for, shame maybe without being fit because nobody's really fit at 14. But if you're 35 and unfit, there's some shame. So yeah. what advice do you give somebody to get started right now? And, and don't say do the Bobby Maximus birthday workout because that'll kill people no. if that's their first introduction. We to don't want to out. scare people away. No, starting with the Bobby Maximus birthday workout would be the worst idea ever. Um, I would think that it starts with your mentality that nothing is too small and a little bit a day is enough. Even if you start and I want to do three push-ups on my knees today. That's day one. That's a goal achieved. Day two, I want to do four push-ups today. Um, because people think it takes so much time and it has to be these big explosive workouts and like CrossFit, throwing gyms, taking off your shirt and like that. It doesn't have to be that. If you're starting, just start small and take that as an achievement and then keep moving every day, a little something. All right. I've got three questions for you, Tara. Right now, looking back, if you were to give advice to somebody who was just starting out as a dancer at the age of whatever age you started out at, what advice would you give them at this end of your career? Uh, Definitely to get to know yourself. It's already a hard career and trying to get into it. If you go in with not knowing how hard it is and not willing to work and to fight fully for it, then you're setting yourself up for failure because it's hard. It's harder than any sport going into any as an athlete, NHL, being on the farm team, trying to get drafted. It's all hard, but it starts with your mind. If you know you might fail and you're okay with it, then you're ready. If you go in and you're saying like, I'm not going to fail, I'm not going to fail and you fail, then you're depressed and it'll probably set your career back. I like that. Part two, same question, but instead of dance, it's fitness. What advice would you give a young person who's just just starting to think about going to the gym? Do it. Um, It's, uh, I can't explain. My love for fitness has really changed my life. You just have to get there. That's the first thing. And when people say, oh, I hate the gym. Okay, well then like, then do something at home, do body weight, but just do it. All right. Third question, and this is probably the most important, but what advice would you give somebody who's been into fitness for a long time, but just started dancing recently? 
<laughs> well, Joe, let me let me. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so Tara, here's the thing. Joe has got into something called Irish dance. Which nice. It's it's kind of like river dancing, as far as I can it's, tell. But it I, is don't river know, I don't know. I don't know that qualifies as your definition of dance. Does that fit into the dance world or not? I mean, is it like? Like this? You've got. That, are you doing jigs like that? Yeah, jigs and reels. <laughs> yes, nice. Um, I mean, what's that name? The, that guy's name, the river dance god, Michael. Uh, maybe flattery. you could be the next. Yeah. Yes, maybe you could be him. You never <laughs> you think, know. You think at the That's age of forty-one, I could, I could actually break in at that level. <laughs> you know, you never know. If you train hard enough, and you're, you're okay with failure. Maybe by 50, you'll be pro. Who knows? Oh, I love it. Thank you for that. <laughs> now, your one question I did have is obviously you've been passionate about dance for your whole life. Would that be correct? Yeah. To say, mm-hmm. was there a part of you that with the advent of all these shows that you've kind of started to resent dance a little bit? And I say that I'm speaking from my fighting experience where all of a sudden everybody wanted to be in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. Everyone wanted to do kickboxing. Every gym, like Good Life in Canada, all of a sudden had like body combat classes. And there were all these like stuff going around with dance, with um, Dancing with the Stars with, you know, World of Dance, so you think you can dance, all of a sudden I've seen more ads anywhere or at any time than for, like, ballroom dancing and dance teachers and all this kinds of stuff. Is there a part of you that is resentful towards that, or are you excited that it is being spread to the world, if you will? Uh, I truly think that the only negative of all these shows is that it puts the younger generation on a fast track. So in the sense that... They feel entitled. They turn 16. They want to be a professional dancer and they only train to do these shows. They don't have the work ethic, the like blood, sweat and tears that in my generation, I feel lucky to have gone through all the shitty times as well, because that's what made me stronger to be in the professional world. But these kids now, they're like, as long as I get two tricks, I don't need to go to a dance studio. I don't need to be a part of a team, compete in a dance group. I just want to be for myself, up for myself, and do a TV show. So that's the only negative that I feel like these shows do. Um, Aside from that, it gives finally a place for dancers to not just be, oh, that's dancer number 1,222. And you're, you're a number. As a professional dancer, most dancers go through their whole career just as a number. So this show actually gives you a name. And they'll be like, oh, that's so-and-so from, so you think you can dance season, whatever. That's so-and-so from Dance to the Stars. So you're actually known by name now, which I think is really great for dancers. Do you think there's a career for people after these shows? Because I, I would imagine that my cousin was pretty heavily involved in dance. And I think her choices were to go to the Royal Canadian Ballet. And I think it's in Winnipeg. That was her one choice. And her other choice was to do background stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like in either videos or the dance for a professional team or things like that. Has this opened up careers for people? Or is it still really hard to make it as a dancer? Well, it's funny. I think people get off these TV shows thinking they're going to be the most famous dancer forever. Um, And that's completely false. If you sit on your ass like anything, people will forget about you in a week. So if that's what you truly want, you have to keep yourself 
in the public eye. You have to keep doing all the auditions that you possibly can. They call it the so you think depression because dancers come off the show thinking they don't have to audition anymore. And that's not it. You're just like every other dancer. You still go to the audition. Sure, they know your name, but you still have to audition like everybody else. Is it more crushing after you win something like that to get rejected from an audition or do you just take it in stride? Um, again, I learned a lot because I actually was fired from Madonna after the show. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I was kind of more invincible and I, I did, I didn't get cocky. Well, once my mom actually told me I was getting a bit too confident, which is, is interesting knowing my personality now and, and before all this. And, uh, yeah, after Madonna fired me, it was another experience that was meant to happen just to keep me back back to myself. I, I, I feel like the Canadian, when a Canadian tells you um, you're getting too confident, they flat out called you cocky. Yeah, just for funny, sure. Just and, like a nice and, and your own mother, for sure. Well, I always just told her I'm too busy to talk, mom. And she was like, wow, telling your own mom that you're too busy. So I, I had my moments, but you learn from them. That's funny. What is next for you? Like, what do you want to accomplish over the next few years? Over the next few years, I've been in touch with other fitness gurus and more Olympic athletes to bring them into human first dancer second for more people to understand the psychology of being an artist and how important it is to fail. I've had some Olympic athletes who trained for the Olympic team that got cut right before, and then they spent six years in depression. So four years to train for a goal, get cut, and then just throw your life away for that amount of years. Um, And so watching dancers listen to these Olympians talk, that's where my heart is, watching their faces. And I was like this like 80-year-old mom, like crying for all these dancers, just watching them something click to make them realize what they want, what they don't how to understand themselves. So my heart is there. So I want human first, answer second to really take form and just to watch people grow and learn more because I didn't have that at all when I was starting in the industry. So I want to give that now. Is fitness a big part of the program? It is. Cross training, there's fitness classes. Like mandatory, you have to do the fitness classes um, to understand cross training and then there's a, a part as well, like the nutrition, understanding your muscles. But cross-training, my brother is going to do the fitness. I did the fitness side before, which was my, actually I enjoyed that more than the dance portion. Interesting. What does a program look like for this? Is it a week? Is it two weeks? Is it a retreat? What does a program entail? Uh, the ones, the events that we had in the past were just a weekend. So Saturday, okay. Sunday. Nice. Any uh, ambition to make it longer? Like, I feel like yeah. you've got to, yeah. two days isn't, I feel this way with seminars anyway. Two days is mm-hmm. not a lot of time. No, definitely. Well, uh, we had one scheduled for August in Costa Rica. So that was a week long. And it was also one of my friends was doing surf lessons. And then it went into the dance portion and the psychology portion and then we would have the motivational speaker whoever that would be um, and then the writing sessions and longevity and like the life coaching and then we'd go on a hike so it was going to be that but maybe it'll still happen if this you know if the world cleans up a little bit and people can travel by august we'll see i like it it sounds like a good program can it help joe become a river dancing world champion is this yeah, how, do I, how do i get involved Joe, I mean, you're so talented already. I'm sure you can just come and teach a class. You can be the river dancing coach. 
fitness slash I tease them about this all the time. Listen, it's been really fun having you on. If people want to learn more about you, about the Human First Answer Second program, where can they get information on this? Where can they sign up? Where can they find you? It's humanfirstdancersecond.com. Nice and easy. Human number one, dancer number two.com. Okay, easy. So it's not F I R S T, it's human one. Yeah. And then dancer2.com. And then where can people find you specifically there? Or would you want them to go to your Instagram? Would you want them to go to your webpage? Uh, Probably Instagram or terrajean.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, love hearing about your how fitness has accepted you. Or sorry, I got distracted. My little one. Um, that's our, our executive host. producer, three-year-old. He's always coming in and uh, interrupting the podcast. I think he's been on every episode, Joe. Yeah, since we started doing these daily. Yeah, he's been on every single one. But uh, no, thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, that's and awesome. especially, I think the coolest thing is that is that failing on season one and going to season two. Because I think you've learned a lot as a person, and I think there's a lesson to be learned there for a lot of people. So, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you guys for having me, Joe. I expect some Irish dancing videos from you. <laughs> all right, you'll have to check out my Instagram. <laughs> you know, he puts I'm them scared. up all the time. That's, you that's do. One you of have those Irish do, dance yeah. videos. Yeah. Great. I'll, 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 I'll DM you. I'll DM you our big, uh, our big St. Patty's Day. Yes. That we did. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Cause you're the last of a dying breed.